Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Welcome to the podcast. It's Deacon John and Joe. You're listening to Joe? Catholic Stuff You Should Know. <laughs> we rehearsed the Why intro. <laughs> I'm just joking. We uh, are back with you here in the treehouse. Just tree because house. you're always finishing my sentences doesn't mean I need to I never cut you sentence. off. Come on out. Honestly. No, we're uh, we're back from Denver, Colorado. Beautiful day uh, in late January. Today's the feast of the conversion of St. Paul. That's in podcast recording time, but in podcast publishing time, it'll probably be into February. So hello uh, from the future again. And um, yeah, I think that's about all I got. How was your weekend? Um, my weekend. <laughs> that's a great face. Um, <laughs> my weekend was good, John. I'm trying to think of what I did. I watched football. Yeah, you would. Yeah. I watched football with uh, a Satch. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, let's not talk about the Bears right now. Thank Are you a Bears fan? Well, I, I lived in Chicago till I was eight, and my best friend, Kyle, was the son of the special teams coach under Ditka. So we were like hardcore. We'd go to games and really? go to I locker rooms and get autographs, and it was pretty awesome. I really didn't know that. So it's deep. My Bears loyalty runs deep. Um but I but must, you still didn't watch the game. But I still I watched the first quarter. Then I had to go do other stuff. I had to baptize babies. Okay, I have a job on Sundays oh, that's now. That's right. I forgot you. Were you know, a real I clerk. love I love baptizing kids. Um, I had one on Sunday, and uh, her name was Anna. And it was my first girl, and she was way better behaved than these other boys that I've been doing the last couple of weeks. But on Saturday, I had two of them back to back. But listen to this: their names were Burton, Edward, Dylan. And Dylan Edward Pryor. And I was like, These are try- two different families? Two different families, completely different, just happened to be two baptized kids with like all first names Burton? Burton, Edward, Dylan, and Dylan Edward Pryor. But they're so close that I kept, I, <laughs> I kept kind of confusing. I think I got them right. Hopefully I baptized them right. Otherwise they're going to be really confused. One's name is Pryor and the other one's name is. You know. That's so fun. So did you do the whole. I want to know, did you do the whole immersion, just no, throwing him in the water? No, no way, man. Why not, toss man? The, well, one of them was like one, so he would have been like, you know. He, what are you doing? He's almost <laughs> rational. He's like, hey, why are you doing this to me? Why are you trying to kill me? <laughs> I think I die was, with Christ in the waters of baptism. <laughs> I think I was immersed completely. Really? Yeah, I saw this awesome picture of, uh, it was like in a magazine or something, or on one of those papers in the uh, coffee room at the seminary, but it was of this Orthodox guy grabbing this, It was bapt- he was baptizing a baby, uh, and he had one hand on one of its legs and the other hand on one of its arms, and he was holding it up in the air, and he looked like he was like, like had this fa- look on his face, like he was like, woo! And the baby was just covered in water. I'm like, wow, this guy's really getting That's into this intense. Baptism. I'd love to do that, but I don't even feel comfortable holding babies, so let alone like dunking them in a tub of water. So, I heard there's a uh, there's like a method to like yeah, you got to like kind of swoosh them swoosh through. them through so they don't get yeah, water. Yeah, no thanks, man. I'm too much of a rookie to try any of that stuff. So yeah, don't pull any fast ones on some parents. They'll be like, what are you doing? What are you doing to my kid? Have you done this before? Yeah, actually, no, I haven't. Now, um, are we doing my topic or your topic? Whatever. Why okay. don't you go? Okay, I'll go. Um, do you know who else was baptized? Oh, you should definitely go. Cause... Do you know who else was baptized? Uh, who? Hans Urs von Balthasar, who we're talking about today. Oh, I thought you were going to say Jacob Welp's kid. Cause uh, yeah, yeah. Pearl was... was also... Were you Pearl? there? Uh, I was not there. No. Neither. No, like but, but hello to uh, Pearl, and we're happy she's baptized now, even though she doesn't realize that because she's like three months old. Okay. Uh, the other guy who was baptized... Is Hans Urs von Balthasar. We're talking about Balthasar. Surprise, now, this surprise. name is very, very important. And I've been wanting to do a podcast on this, but I've been nervous about doing it because 
when you do a podcast, you have to be a little detached from the subject for the sake of time. Um, and as this showed in that apocalypse one, you remember that apocalypse one? Way too, way too attached. You were pretty excited. Pretty excited. You're talking fun. too quickly. Blood pressure's up. Um, plus, we're drinking caffeine all the time in the mornings here. And uh, this is my man. I love this guy. Do you remember that email we got from Anders? Yes. Yeah, so this guy sent us an email uh, from, uh, he was from the Netherlands, and he his email question was that uh, he asked us if we could talk slower. Because talk slower. He doesn't understand half the things we say. Well, you know what, Anders, we're going to so take it. This, this day, even though we're excited about Balthazar, we're going to talk really slow. You know what, Anders, we're going to go one step further. We're going we're gonna to speak in German for the rest of this thing because, <laughs> well, I guess he speaks Dutch, doesn't he? So, uh, Well, the title is in German at least. How about that? Because right. neither of us actually speak German. It's Hans East Mein Seelsorger. That's what you saw when you clicked on the link and you're like, what the heck is this? Hans Hope- East Mein Seelsorger. Hans East Mein Seelsorger. And you have to be kind of angry as you say it, even if you're not angry. You have to be like, Hans East Mein Seelsorger. All That's kind of the German. Angry. We're going to go to what that German phrase means in a little bit, but first, I want to start talking about his life. This is basically a podcast on his life, okay? This would be good. I don't know much about him. So we said he was baptized in 1905 in Lucerne, Switzerland, Okay, which is a beautiful, beautiful place. Have Uh, you been there? No, but that's what they tell me, and I've seen photos. Um, And he died in 1988. So let's fast forward to his death real quick. 1980, okay. He had a certain guy do his... um, funeral so he died in uh, july of 1988 and uh, he had a friend of his in uh he's buried is he buried in lucerne i think he's buried in lucerne yeah a friend of his did his funeral and uh during his funeral homily his friend said this is the most cultured man of the 20th century this is the most learned cultured That's a big man. statement yeah most learned cultured man of the 20th century that is okay so like first off we gotta think like we're dealing with a giant. Second thought is, who said that? Who would make such a crazy claim in someone's homily? Could you imagine that? Joe Doman dies, and I was like, Joe Doman was the greatest <laughs> musician of the 21st century. I mean, it's like, who? That is like quite a claim to make. The most learned man. If you think of all the great minds of the 20th century, he's saying this is the most learned and the most cultured. That's pretty amazing. Do you know who said that? Was it Ratzinger? It was Ratzinger. Cardinal Ratzinger at the time. His old friend from their days when they were working in academia together. Uh, back when Ratzinger was up in Germany. Ratzinger, who's Pope Benedict. Who's now Pope Benedict. So the current Pope said this about this guy in 1988 at the time when he was uh, working in Rome as the prefect of the Doctrine of the Faith. He said that. Now, uh, Ratzinger and Balthazar have been buddies since the 50s. Now, one of their big projects together was starting a um, renewal. Well, you know what? Before I say that, let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to the beginning of his life. It's a good place to start. Okay, so Balthazar is kind of this freak baby genius child. You know, uh, he, he's one of these kids who like, uh, by age 10 had like all of Mozart memorized on piano, just like ridiculous. He grew up in a, in a high Swiss aristocratic family. You know, he, the Balthazars had gone back like 800 years or something in Lucerne itself. So, I mean, this is like a, he grew up in a very, very cultured family, grew up speaking English, French, German, um, and was a very literary type. So when he went on for his doctoral studies, um, he actually studied literature. He he studied what is called the German Geschichte, which means he's a Germanist. Like he he's a his doctorate was in German German culture German, German culture literature. German literature. Now this matters. This matters. I'm telling. You, I'm not just giving you facts about his life because he later went on to do theology and philosophy. He became a Jesuit and later went on to do theology and philosophy. But he always did it from the perspective of culture and art and literature. So in many ways, 
he did theology not as a scientist, which is oftentimes how it's done, hmm. but as a poet. Interesting. That is interesting, especially because when he was growing up, I mean, the the early 20th century was characterized in theology, and I'm learning about this, about this in school right now. It's characterized by a very the neo Thomism, uh, right. neo scholasticism was very. It was very scientific in its methods. Like right. it was like here is principle A, here's principle B, and we use this formula and these methods to get to this, you know, this doctrine. And it was kind of like very succinct and very just structured and almost like an engineer, which can be useful but can be really deficient because it doesn't leave any room for beauty or the mystery. Exactly. And he and he hated that. And after he studied literature, when he went on to become a Jesuit and he was studying theology, he he described it as I was languishing in the desert of neo-scholasticism. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that. what he's talking about is neo, or neo-scholasticism or neo-Thomism of the first half of the 20th century. It was very dry, very systematic, um, and it had been reduced kind of what are called manuals. So you had manuals, and it would essentially just give you theological answers. But it had been kind of stripped of mystery, stripped of um, kind of a sapiential dimension. To, he hated that. But he met a man um, during his studies, uh, one of his professors, uh, whose name was Henri de Lubac, now, Henri de Lubac was a Jesuit in Lyon, France, and he was teaching this guy Hans, Urs von Balthasar, and uh, he took him a totally different route. So Balthasar learned the systems, he learned kind of the scientific approach to theology, but he took, but this guy, his teacher de Lubac, took him back to the early church, to what are called the patristics, the fathers, who did theology very differently. Mm. The fathers are like the first response to scripture, the first response to the word Theologically, they're the ones who essentially invented theology. Mm. Um, great minds in the first 500 years, essentially, of the church. We call that the patristic period. And Balthazar became steeped in that, and that became his source. Mm. So when the Second Vatican Council came around, guys like de Lubac, Balthazar, Ratzinger, these guys who had been uh, working with the fathers, developed what they called ressourcement, which means, as a French word meaning return to the sources, which means returns to scripture, but also to the fathers. So what they wanted to do was return theology to the early church. And, this is in Vatican II. This, this is in Vatican II. Now, uh, Balthazar was not invited to the Second Vatican Council, which was one of the devastating moments of his life. Got the shaft. He was because these guys were all considered radicals. They were all progressives. You got to remember that. I mean, this is the 30s and 40s and 50s. So Ratzinger, De Lubac, uh, Balthazar, these resource monk guys, also called Novel Theologie, new, the New Theology, they were totally suspect. Um, and a lot of them weren't invited. Hmm. But they were all kind of hanging out, talking with other guys. They were friends with this guy in Poland named Karl Wojtyla, who would uh, later become Pope John Paul II, and later, obviously, Ratzinger has become Pope Benedict. So they all, eventually in time, they were received. But early on, they were thought as total radicals and total liberals before the council. After That's the so c- funny to think about, because now they're not, they're thought of like, you know, these are the, the more conservative contingent, you know, of the- theology. Totally. So after the council, they're considered um, uh, conservatives, but they um, but they're hugely important. They're hugely important. Now, um, I'll give you two reasons why. The first is um, Ignatius Press. I'm holding an Ignatius Press book in my hand, and many of you who are listening to this know this, and you'd recognize it by the tab on the side. They got the cool, like you know, the cool. Uh, what do you call it? I don't know. It's like the there's like the one color, and then there's the one color tab. Yeah. So like on the binding of the book, there's like the one tab and the author's name. Ignatius Press exists because a guy named Joe Fessio, who's a Jesuit in California, went to Europe to study with Balthazar, and he came back and he said, why is none of this guy's work in English published? Balthazar is over 100 books. He says, why is this not uh, published? This theology is amazing. 
So he started Ignatius Press to publish theology, the really? theology of von Balthasar. That's why Ignatius Press started? That's why Ignatius Press started. Now, they also started doing Ratzinger's, and they started doing a number of other things, and they go far, far beyond that scope. But the primary reason in the early 80s why Ignatius Press came into existence, and Father Gronsky, my spiritual director and our friend, once said to me, he says, I think Ignatius Press may have saved the... Uh, the theology of the church in English because it had gotten so bad and the publishing was getting so uh, heterodox and just awful that uh, this publishing house made it, and, and that's the result of the fruit of our friend von Balthasar. Wow, praise God for Ignatius Press. Man. Praise God for Ignatius Press. So it, uh, um, his work is amazing. Now his work is also, he's also very, very dense at times. He, this guy has mastered the, the tradition of the West. He knows everything. But he also was a man who was keenly aware of what was happening to the world. He kind of lamented technology. Um, and I know we're giving a podcast, podcast. so it's funny that we, uh, we do that. But, but he was, I hate he, technology. I know, seriously. It's so ridiculous. But he Stupid was, uh, microphones. But he was uh, um, just concerned about the pace of, of technology and, and where the world was going. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and he was also worried about civilization just collapsing. It was losing its Christian roots. And remember, in Europe, and Anders would know this, it's in a very different place in the United States. They're ahead of us in some ways. We're going there, but they're, they're a little bit ahead of us in terms of the secularization or the, the uh, loss of the, of the Christian identity of the Christian foundation of Europe. It's, it's being stripped away. Balthazar felt that intensely and suffered mm-hmm. that his whole life. And at one point, he had this great line. He, I mean, he has over 100 volumes, but he says, all of my work is but a... Um, um, what did he say? It, it's but a. Ah, um, oh, no, I'm forgetting the phrase. Um, I, you made you threw me off because you looked at how long we're going. What time are we at on that thing? I was just looking at what time it was. That's Which all. is what? Uh, 7:50. But we're doing great. Keep going. 17:50 or 27:50. 7:50. Oh no, it, the time 13:43. Oh, okay, okay. We're running 13. We're doing good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I just want to keep it under 20 because I could talk about this guy forever. I know. He said, "My work, my theolo- theological work, is nothing but a bottle thrown." From the sinking ship of Western civilization. Wow. That's pretty, that's so melancholic. It is. And our other melancholic friend, Father Garonsky, said, I picked that bottle up off the Jersey Shore, <laughs> brought it to Denver, and now I teach you Balthazar. So that's how that's we got awesome. Balthazar. <laughs> pretty awesome. Now, one last thing. A uh, bottle thrown from the sinking ship of Western civilization. Wow. It's nothing but a bottle ship. And sting. Is that sting? Message in a bottle, something like that? Uh, the, uh, I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> too early. The, uh, um, but the last thing we'll say about Balthazar, just a great man, and I think really a saint, um, but also condemned uh, for some of his things, for some of his uh, theology. And it, uh, the, the purpose of theology is not to defend orthodoxy. The purpose of theology is to rationally expound on the, the, the content of Revelation. Very, very important. Because the Neotomism of the first half of the century used theology as a tool to fight heresy. That's not what yeah. it is. That's not what it is. And so when people like to blast Balthazar, he's got a couple of things that are pretty controversial because he's trying to develop the tradition theologically. Um, and we don't have time to get into that. But when people blast people um, theologically, and you mm-hmm. can tell this is a little personal for me, it's like they're beating up on my older brother or something, um, they have a false understanding of what theology is. This is not how the fathers of the church, who essentially founded theology, this is not how they did it. This hmm. is a false understanding of it. It's a reactionary understanding. It's a very limited understanding of it. So we have to return to that full scope. That we have to be sense. orthodox. Yeah. No, I was just thinking about how it's almost like a the, the turn theology took, getting so on the defensive, almost seems like a, a city that it, all its resources are just put into 
having its walls up big and having its military strong, but its culture's dying. It's like what the real heart of the city is uh, isn't getting fed, and that's kind of what theology was. It was like it was it was a city that was always on the defensive, you know, and that's where all the focus was on just kind of this is the truth and defining, and which is important, and you can't do without that, and you can't let your walls down and just kind of let the faith go. But that isn't the heart of theology. The heart of theology is is moving towards God, not just protecting our idea of God from the world. Exactly, you know? exactly. And one of the important tasks of theology is we can't just hide in a bastion and pretend like we live in the 13th century. We don't. We have to engage the world. We have to engage modern man. John yeah. Paul II had a great phase. Um, to evangelize, you have to know two things, Jesus Christ and modern man, and that really is true. Um, and uh, the last thing I'll say about the theology of Hans Urs von Balthasar, my friend, my brother, this guy that I love so dearly, is that um, he was a pastor. And this is where we get to the phrase, Hans Urs ist mein Seelsorger, oh, right? Seelsorger yeah. is the word, the German word for chaplain. But it doesn't really mean chaplain. It means soul warrior. Zale Ooh. and Zorga. Zorga is like the warrior. So it's like one who worries over souls. Isn't that cool? That is pretty cool. Now, Balthazar had the choice um, after he finished his doctoral studies. He could stay, um, he could go the academic route and be very prestigious and get all these honorary positions. He had been offered to the Gregorian um, in, in Rome. All these different places wanted him to, to work and to teach and to be an academic. But instead, he chose to stay in Switzerland and to be a Zorga, to be a chaplain. Um, to college kids, essentially, really? to university students. And That's he spent awesome. his whole life doing uh, Ignatian spirituality um, and forming community based on his, his life of spiritual direction. And I think because of that, his theology is completely different. This is the greatest theological mind of the last century, but he has a whole life as a pastor in people's life. It's not um, away from the experience of, of real human beings. It's not you're sitting in a library, you're sitting at your desk, you're, um, you're talking in your little academic circle. You're really in people's lives. And this stuff was really tested for decades. On the front lines. On the front yeah. lines. And it transformed the lives of those who he met. And he started he started communities, religious communities, all kinds of things because of that. I did not know that. That's Isn't that awesome. interesting? That one decision, though. And I thought I thought that's a profoundly humble decision um, to step out of the glamour and the pride. Especially being from comes. such high culture as exactly. he was, you know, and such exactly. a noble family, you know. So that's how we close this. Hans, Tell this story Hans about um, I want to hear the story about uh, the whole how he became a cardinal. Oh, very good. This would be a good way to close it off. He, uh, um, so John Paul II tried to get him four times to receive the hat, the red hat of the cardinal. Now, what so cardinals are usually either bishops or theologians, right? Right. Now they're typically bishops, but what it is 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 John Paul II used. Um, Certain bishops will receive the cardinal hat because of their position, mm-hmm. like the cardinal of you know Regali in uh, Philly. Yeah, you know. But uh, every once in a while, the well, what John Paul used to do was he'd recognize an outstanding theologian by making him a cardinal, but he would do it after the voting age, so he wouldn't really have the vote the voting for the next successor of Peter, but it was an honorary title. Right. He did that to De Lubac. We mentioned that Ratzinger was already a cardinal because he was in Rome working as the prefect. Um, he did that with all kinds of other guys, but he tried several times with Balthazar, who declined several times, and then finally accepted in 1988 and died on the way <laughs> to receive the red hat in Rome. Wow. So it's almost like he lived his whole life in humility and poverty, um, suffering, mm-hmm. and uh, God took him right before he That's could have received awesome. the That probably the made him happy, honors. too, honestly. Yeah. I mean, but I heard it's on his, uh, it's on his tombstone, It's on it? his tombs. Hans Urs, Cardinal von Balthasar, when you go to Lucerne and you see he's buried uh, with his family in the cathedral. That is awesome. 
So that's that's my man. That is, that is your man. For anybody who knows John, uh, it's very a very common thing to walk into a coffee shop and see Deacon John Nepple there with a Von Balthasar book, you know, in front of him with, next to his latte. Exactly. That's kind of quintessential John Nepple. I would say if you wanted a good starter for Von Balthasar, um, he's got a great book uh, called Prayer, and it's on contempl- it's on contemplative prayer friendship. That's just a great. Starting point, pick it up. You'll be blown away. I've never read that. I've read Heart of the World. Heart of the World's or great. Or parts of it. It's yep. excellent, too. Yep. I highly recommend everything, though. So read it all. That's very cool. Well, I don't have any Hanser's Von Balthazar emails. Okay. Um, but I actually do have one that's kind of related to what we were just talking about. Um, uh, Vincent uh, had this question uh, in response to the podcast we did. Oh, what was it on? I think it was on the historicity of the Gospels. Okay. Um, and we talked about this distinction between apologetics and fundamental theology. Right. And Vincent just says, like, hey, well, you know, apologetics is an important thing. And <clears throat> he just says, just to comment on what you said about apologetics, you were rather negative on the concept of apologetics, stating that it had been more or less replaced by fundamental theology. If I'm not getting you wrong, um, according to you, faith defense would not lead to conversions. And he goes on to say, like, well, look at EWTN, Catholic Answers. These are all these good examples. Mm-hmm. Apologetics is important. And I guess, I guess to qualify what I'm saying, and that's a great point. I mean, I don't mean to... Uh, the distinction I was drawing wasn't between uh, fundamentally different things necessarily. I mean, the con- the content of fundamental theology and the content of apologetics is actually very similar. Right. And so what kind of is popularly known in Catholic culture as apologetics um, is kind of also known as fundamental theology. I mean, the content and the quote-unquote arguments, for lack of a better word, uh, are, you know, why why do we believe in God? You know, why does the church teach this? Kind of a defense of the faith is important. I think the distinction, though, that kind of uh, that happened in the early 20th century was, and I think it has a lot to do with what you're talking about, neo-scholasticism, mm-hmm. and this, this idea of theology getting um, so focused on just defending what it, what it is to be orthodox, right. defending what it is to be true. And, uh, and theology wanted to move, you know, during the 20th century, we wanted to move away from this idea of defense to like, well, let's actually start expounding upon the truths of our faith, right, the race, right, horse, right, mind, getting, right. how did the fathers think? And the idea of apologetics kind of wanted to do the same thing in a certain sense of we're not, um, this isn't the, this isn't every, the be all and end all, these arguments and these debates. It's less about debate um, and more about a dialogue. Right. And how do we, how do we engage the world about these truths? Not just say argument A, argument B, argument C. Um, and uh, and and this is it, and you don't need to know anything else. If you don't if you don't accept this or believe this, well, then that's on you, because that's kind of how apologetics worked in the early 20th century. Now the idea of apologetics we have isn't as much like that. I mean, you still have argument A, B, and C, but it's it's not presented as like this is it. You know, Catholic answers if you go to it is, is isn't like this is the truth. Anything outside of this is wrong, and, and right. you're going to hell if you're not. No, but it presents a, it. It says this is why we believe what we do. This is credible, um, and that's. Even though it might be called and referred to as apologetics, uh, the more, I guess, academic term would be fundamental theology. Right. So just to make that a distinction. I think that's a good point. distinction. So I don't want to dog that. Yeah. These things like Catholic Answers, yeah. WTN, the stuff that they're doing you gotta, is so important. It needs gotta, to be done. Yeah, you got to know your apologetics. We yeah, would you, never uh, mean to say that. So thanks. That's a good clarification. Yeah, so I appreciate that because I don't want to lead people astray to think that this is not helpful or not useful because exactly. it is very much so. Exactly. All right, man. Well, that's all we got. If you have any other questions, comments, uh, we're on Facebook. You can check us out there on Catholic Stuff Podcast. And also, uh, Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Send us emails. And remember, if you haven't resubscribed, you got to resubscribe. Yeah, this might one. be one of the last podcasts we actually put on the old feed. So if you're subscribed to our old feed and you haven't resubscribed, this will be the last podcast you hear. So think about this when you're like, hey, where's the new podcast? And yeah, it's not popping up. It's because you haven't gone back to right. iTunes or 
to Google and uh, got on our new feed. Exactly. So, again, how to do that? If you're on iTunes, subscribe to the one with J10 Initiative as the author. There's a little icon picture that we got. We're getting we're more legit. It's kind of cool. And if you're not on iTunes, if you have some other software, go to our website uh, and to the links page, and there's a link there you can subscribe with a generic feed. So great. And as Father Mike used to say, if you like Catholic stuff, tell your friends. Hey, there you go. Tell your friends. It's a good thing. All right. You gonna say goodbye or something? All right. See you. <laughs>